Hey folks, it's Greg Allman with the Tampa Bay Times and TampaBay.com here on the Cannon Fodder Podcast. It is Wednesday, December 27th. Uh, wishing a happy holidays to all of you guys. Off for a few days here, but uh, catching up on things and looking ahead here to the final regular season game of the year for the Bucs on Sunday at home against the Saints. Uh, I want to recap a uh, disappointing road loss for the Bucs on Christmas Eve at Carolina. Uh, another close game. Had the lead late, could not uh, get the defensive stop they needed to close out a win. And Carolina uh, gets a penalty at the goal line from Tampa Bay and from Chris Baker and then takes it in for a touchdown in the final minute. Uh, again, disappointing. Again, the last four games the Bucks have lost now are by 3-3-3 three, 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 and 6 points. So uh, you're 15 points away from being 4-0 instead of 0-4. Um, and I think... That probably makes it all the worst. I mean, these are games, you know, Bucks could have lost these games by 10, by, by 20 points. But the fact that all four of them were games uh, that could have been won, either had the lead late or had the game tied or had the ball with a chance to lead, um, for whatever reason, this team does not have enough left in the tank at the end of games to get things done. And there's a lot of different things to go to from that. Um, again, we have two more podcasts this week to look ahead on things, but... One of the things I want to talk about, first of all, is just red zone inefficiency. Uh, Bucks had six trips inside the Carolina 20-yard line on Sunday and had one touchdown to show for it. Um, one for six is not a good mark. Um, and again, four field goals is a good thing for Pat Murray, but even Pat Murray uh, missed on a longer field goal in the fourth quarter there where they could have extended the lead and at least been up seven where a touchdown run only tied a game late instead of beating him. Um, it's the third year in a row the Bucks are worse in red zone efficiency than they were the year before. 2014, when they came in, uh, 2014, before Dirk Cutter came in as offensive coordinator, Bucks are at 54%. They're 17th in the league. So right around the middle of the pack, 54%. Uh, Dirk's first year and Jameis Winston's first year in 15, they dropped to 53%. They're 22nd in the league. Last year they were down to 52nd, I'm sorry, 52%. Uh, and this year they're down at 48%, which was ranks 25th in the league, bottom quarter of the league. Um, for the Bucks, it's their worst red zone success rate since 2009. They were only at 39% that real bad year. Um, but again, five years ago, they kind of had that one great year where Josh Freeman was doing everything right. Uh, Bucks were at 59%, um, ranked 8th in the league. And they've kind of quickly deteriorated, again, to 48% right now. Uh, part of the problem is that they, they don't get to the red zone very often, for one thing. Um, was looking at red zone attempts. Jameis Winston is 24th in the league in, in red zone passing attempts. And, and part of that is that he missed three games. I understand that. But even if you prorate it, he's in the bottom half of the league in red zone passing attempts. He's 27th in the league in completion percentage in the uh, red zone only gets 48%. So they're fairly inefficient to begin with. Um, but like, if you look at total red zone touchdowns, Winston has 12 red zone touchdowns. And he has no interceptions, don't get me wrong. He, he's not turning the ball over in the red zone so much as he's just not getting touchdowns as often. He has as many red zone touchdowns this year as Aaron Rodgers and Deshaun Watson. And they both only played seven games before they got hurt. So almost twice as many games for him as those two, and only 12 red zone touchdowns. Mike Evans is another part of it. I mean, Mike Evans was probably their best red zone weapon when he was at his best. And you think about last year being a pro bowler, 
Um, has only three touchdowns in the red zone on 19 targets this year. Um, so he's tied for ninth in red zone targets. He, he's getting thrown to in the red zone like an elite receiver, but he's tied for 36th in red zone touchdowns. Um, so not nearly the return that you need to get from uh, especially a big, a big sized receiver in the red zone. Uh, 19 throws, three touchdowns. And again, that's that's the reason they lose that game on Sunday. There's other things that go into it. There's turnovers and things like that. But if you consistently get into the position of scoring a touchdown and you walk away with only three points, I would think that has to be something that the opposing defense can can get something out of and, and consider it a victory even when you've given up points because it could have been so much more. Uh, you know, first half they're down 12-9 because they only had three field goals. I mean, and then they get a touchdown to go ahead and it's 16-12, but again, the Bucks have turnover in the red zone. Bucks have a chance to extend it twice um, and only get one field goal to show for it. So it, it kind of kept Carolina within striking distance when there really wasn't a need to. So red zone offense can to be a problem. The other thing I want to talk about is, is Jameis Winston fumbles. I think we've talked a lot about Jameis Winston and turnovers over the years, but not specifically fumbles. This looks to be second year in a row that he will at least have a tie of the league lead in lost fumbles. Um, Winston has 15 fumbles total. And again, there's a difference between fumbles and lost fumbles. Winston has 15 fumbles total, which leads the NFL. Cousins has 13, but he's got it right now. Um, that's the most by any player in any season in the NFL in the last five years. Uh, Philip Rivers had 15 fumbles in 2012. But as far as back as I could find... Um, 15th a big number. That's more than one a game for Winston. And he's only lost seven of them, don't get me wrong. That's also tied for the league lead. Stafford and Tom Savage also have seven lost fumbles. This is a relatively new problem for Jameis Winston. Um, we talked a lot over the last three years about Winston's proclivity for turnovers in college. And that was mainly an interception problem. Um, you look at Jameis Winston's entire college career, going into his final game in college, had only lost Three fumbles in 27 games, okay? Um, again, had fumbles. Don't get me wrong. I think he had 10 fumbles in that time, but only lost three of them. So more often than not, I can get it back. So three fumbles entering his final college game. Kind of had that famous play against Oregon where he tried to do too much and span, lost the football. Oregon takes it back for a 58-yard touchdown. Um, he had three fumbles in that game against Oregon. Um, and FSU got two of them back, but lost the big one there. So again, even with counting that, lost four total fumbles in all of college in two seasons, two full seasons going all the way to the national championship game in both. As a rookie, only had six fumbles all year, only lost two. Again, perfectly tolerable number for an every down NFL quarterback. But last year, the number goes up to 10 fumbles and six fumbles lost. And six fumbles lost last year ties for the NFL lead with Blake Bortles. So fumbles were as big a problem for him as for any quarterback in the NFL last year. We talked extensively about Winston wanting to limit his turnovers, limiting, limiting his mistakes, all those kind of things. And he's gotten much worse. And I, I don't know what exactly you point to. Is he trying to do too much? Obviously, the last two years hasn't had nearly the running game that he had helping him in 2015 when Doug Martin was second in the NFL in rushing. So it makes sense that if you don't have a reliable run game, a quarterback would try to do too much, would hold on to the ball too long, um, be less likely to just throw the ball away if they feel like they have to do too much. So that's 
probably where it starts with. I don't know that the sacks are pronounced different from where they were two years ago. He's just fumbling more and losing fumbles more. So, again, last two years, now you're talking about 25 fumbles, which leads the NFL, and you're talking about 13 fumbles lost, which leads the NFL. So I think now we can talk very specifically about Winston and fumbles because I think he's made decent progress this year in interceptions. Um, how many he's thrown, how many games he's thrown them in. He's a more careful passer this year for sure than he has been in his NFL career. But that's been at the expense of these fumbles, which are now clearly where he's worst in the NFL. Uh, no one in the NFL fumbles more. No one in the NFL loses more fumbles over the last two years than Jameis Winston. And in a game like Sunday, you lose it because you look at it and it's like, wow, he has a great quarterback rating because quarterback rating only looks at completions, attempts, touchdowns, interceptions, and yards. So you can fumble nine times and have a 158 quarterback rating because you didn't throw an interception. And it's misleading because it's a good rating as a quarterback, but minus three is, is terrible. I have three fumbles lost in the game, not just three fumbles. Um, you're not going to win many games when you lose three fumbles. So um, one of them obviously was in the final minute of the game. It, it would have been a low percentage chance for the Bucks to win anyway. But it's still, and, and again, it, if you look at that play, it looks like Winston might have actually even had the ball. So there's some, some mitigating circumstances to that third fumble. But even two fumbles in a one-score game can be the difference between a win and a loss. So definitely want to speak to that, to Winston's sudden penchant for fumbling that they have to figure out. If you think about offseason, what they can do differently, obviously they want to protect him better, but there is there is a there's protecting your quarterback and then there's making sure your quarterback doesn't give the ball up that much when he is hit. Or, or you know, sometimes when he's not hit. He's lost fumbles this year. Uh, you know, botch snap can go one of two ways. It can be on the center, it can be on the quarterback, but it all ends up tallying up to seven lost fumbles for Winston this season. I want to talk about draft position. Uh, Bucks did get some help. If, if you're long past rooting for the Bucks to win and you're solely interested in draft position for the Bucks, this was a good weekend. Um, as expected, the Bears won and beat the Browns. And then somewhat surprisingly, the, the 49ers beat Jacksonville. So both of those teams now picking after the Bucks. Bucks are now fifth in the draft right now. Uh, it's possible they could move up to fourth um, if they lose against New Orleans on Sunday. And if the Texans beat the Colts, which is not a hard thing to do. Colts have a worse record. It's, it's in Indy, so it would be a road win for Houston. But if Houston wins and Tampa Bay loses, the Bucs actually slide up to fourth overall, uh, which is pretty strong. Fourth overall, you got to think there's a quarterback or two going ahead of them. They'd be in excellent position to take perhaps the best pass rusher in the draft. Uh, perhaps an elite defensive back if they feel like their best options at pass rusher are gone. But the talent in this draft should line up well with picking fourth overall, or even fifth if that's the case. Now, if the Bucks win on Sunday, and again, that's certainly possible, um, New Orleans has plenty of motivation. New Orleans needs a win or a Carolina loss to win the division. So New Orleans very much wants to have a home playoff game. Uh, to do that, they can clinch that by winning. So this is not a, rust, a rested this is not a Saints team that's going to rest starters. This is a Saints team that has incentive to win for seeding, for home field in the playoffs, all those things. Uh, if the Bucks were to win on Sunday, uh, they could go anywhere between 5th and ninth in the draft. And that depends on whether all these 5 and 10 teams 
win or lose on Sunday as well. Uh, that's the Jets, Broncos, Bears, and 49ers. All picking behind the Bucks right now, but all could slide ahead of the Bucks if they were to lose and the Bucks were to win on Sunday. So again, fourth and ninth, the two sides of the spectrum on the draft right now. Uh, very different levels of talent, which you can get there. Uh, teams have clearly shown you can botch the fourth overall pick. You can get an absolute gem at number nine. So I, I don't want to make it seem like how they do in the draft is going to hinge on whether they can successfully lose on Sunday. Um, lots more to get to. You know, we want to talk about Chris Baker this week. Uh, you know, Chris Baker, kind of the cause of a locker room argument fight after the game on Sunday because he jumped off sides on what would have been a fourth and three, uh, made that a fourth and one much easier for Carolina. Carolina converts that and then gets the touchdown to beat the Bucks. Uh, a lot of frustration with Chris Baker. He has not been the player the Bucks wanted when they brought him in. Um, had hoped he would be maybe the best defensive tackle to line up next to Gerald McCoy. They would help each other out, freeing things up. Uh, Chris Baker has a half sack right now. Less than one sack in 15 games. Uh, I guess he missed one early, I think, so 14 games. Um, but again, if you go back to training camp, it, there's some sense of, of the new additions on this team not necessarily helping the locker room chemistry and the leadership. I think Deshaun Jackson has come a long way in that way, but in training camp, you saw Deshaun Jackson grousing. In training camp, you saw Chris Baker as the silly guy that would taunt the kickers and try and get in the kicker's head in training camp. Uh, Chris Baker that got a reputation in training camp for not liking to practice. And you can have that reputation as long as you show up on Sundays. But when you're offsides in key situations, when you're not getting sacks, it definitely turns the fans against you. I think fans went into this season very wary of Chris Baker, wondering if he'd be a good player or whether he'd look like a lazy player who didn't like to practice. So uh, Chris Baker's been fairly defensive about this, but you know the Bucks can cut him loose after this season with no cap ramifications at all. And he did not play this year like somebody who would merit a $6 million salary like he's due to make. Um, there's a lot of guys in that situation. Robert Ayers could be done. Doug Martin could be done. Those guys are all guys that can be cut with no cap damage at all. So, again, we have to figure out who's in a position to be leading this team and deciding on cuts in the offseason. But once they do, um, especially if this is a new coach or a new GM, they're going to have even less patience or leniency for a player when they look at the production versus the salary and see what these guys are doing versus how much they're being paid. Um, you don't want to have an incredible amount of cap money because usually free agency spending isn't the most efficient use of money. You have to pay top dollar to get top talent. But um, if you're getting that little on a contract, it's easy to put the money back out and just take a coin flip on who you might be able to find that might play better. You don't know what the chemistry will be like. It, it creates more of an unknown because so much of your team is new. But that's often the case with a new coach. So we have to figure out first whether Dirk Cutter is back, whether Jason Light is back. Once those decisions are made, there's plenty of change possible on the field as well. Uh, guys, we'll have two more podcasts this week. We are good rest of this holiday week. Thanks again for the long weekend. Hope you guys had a good holiday. That will do it for now. But for the Tampa Bay Times and TampaBay.com, this is Greg Allman. Thanks again for listening to the Cannon Fodder Podcast.